Welcome to Crushing Comics, and today we are talking our epic X-Men reread. Today we are reading Uncanny X-Men issues 109 and 110. We are reading the backup story in classic X-Men number 16, and also some other classic X-Men backups which fit into the same time period, and we'll explain that a little bit more as we go. Before we get started, just a reminder, we are not just talking about these X-Men issues. We could spoil other X-Men things that happen after this, and due to some of the characters that appear here, we might comment on Jonathan Hickman's House of X and Powers of X and the general status quo that follows, although we will not get into specific spoilers that follow House of X and Powers of X, and if we're going to mention them, we will disclaim it. So now that that disclaimer is out of the way, Tyler and Freya, let's dig in to these issues which mark a big change in the run of Uncanny X-Men because it's the arrival of John Byrne who not only artistically changes the title, but really changes the balance of the characters a lot as Claremont writes them. And we start out with a very Canadian issue, appropriately, since John Byrne is a Canadian, with Uncanny X-Men 109 and the introduction of Alpha Flight by introducing James Hudson as a superhero. What do we think about this one? No, I'm just saying as a Canadian national pride, national Canadian pride, like it's like, yay, maple leaves. <laughs> like, I, I mean, so is I mean, this do the you, origin- you know, America? Is, so is, origin- this the, is this the first time? Is the first time Alpha Flight is shown? Yes, uh-huh. in continuity. I mean, yeah. they've been retconned. It's always been retconned that like Wolverine was meant to be part of this team, and there's lots of little insert retcon stories of Wolverine doing stuff when he was technically part of the team. But this is like the invention of it in whole cloth in terms of the uh, release yeah. continuity of X Men. Oh, I mean the the team is not even like formed yet here. Like I mean, you don't see the team; you only see Weapon Alpha here. But you will see the team like you know a few issues later. So. Oh, okay. I mean, it was, um, to me, that uh, I kind of was liking that fact that they all came back from the alien fight that they have in 108, and then they're just like, hey, uh, we're just going to go for a picnic, you guys, and Nightcrawler gets a date, and then, you know, and he's like, oh, okay, I'm going to go on a date, and then everyone else is going to go on a picnic. So I'm like, oh, that's really nice, and then this guy just shows up and ruined everything. It's like, boo. (laughs) So I have to ask, you know, we've established many times that this is the the immigrant show, right? We're all d- displaced from places where we are free of twice over. And, uh, but I think as a, an American, you know, you tend to have a reaction when you see certain symbols of American pride or nationalism, although that's been changed a little bit recently. So, you know, when you see like the stars and stripes or if I see like a really American brand or something really American here in New Zealand, I'm like, oh, like it gets me. Like, do you have that feeling about a superhero and a maple leaf? Like, do, is this, do Canadians care about maple leaves is my question. <laughs> well, I am actually also like, um, like a naturalized Canadian. So, you know, it's kind of different. And then Canada is like, at least my experience has been that it's such a, nation of immigrants because everyone came from somewhere and even like a lot of people who were in their 60s they're like first generation you know or they came with their parents you know Mm. so it's still a very much in terms of national pride and everything they're still in a different level than where you know you would expect America to be Mm. so I mean I don't at least for me, I was I thought that oh that was very cool. I mean, I keep on forgetting that Wolverine is Canadian because you know the way he acts, he's very 
American <laughs> often. <laughs> but, you know, so I'm like, oh, so I was reminded about that. And then, you know, they were talking about some of the gadgets and things they have. I'm like, well, what do you know? It's like, you know, it's different. And it's like they're a little bit advanced. And I thought that was pretty cool. But it didn't move me to tears. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> you, you know, don't, like, start say- singing Oh Canada in your head. No, I didn't. <laughs> A superhero in a maple leaf costume. So, you know, I didn't. He, he's called Weapon Alpha here, which is, you know, interesting because we'll later play an Alpha Flight with Weapon Omega and, of course, Wolverine being Weapon X, which kind of all gets tied later. But uh, he he's kind of like the primary strike force of the Canadian government. This suit is like the Canadian government's most high-tech thing. But before we get further into that, let's talk about the other thing for you talked about, Tyler, which is um, the X-Men just having some time to themselves, which I think establishes some character moments for them that is really the first time we see some of these character beats for them in this issue. What do you think about that? I mean, definitely that's, um, that's going to be, that's going to become quite a very, um, a a trope that Claremont used multiple times over and over again. Every time a a huge arc and there will be a downtime type of issue where he will explore the, not, not just, at the end of a of a big arc, sometimes before the 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 big arc or before the climax of an arc, he would have this quiet issue of reflection, mm. of um contemplation, or you know at the end where there will be some bonding and some exploration of what happened and what significant impact he has on these characters. I mean, he has worked out an art to this, which. Um, a little bit of a spoilers, you know, some of the more recent um, uh, writers on Reign of X did not quite capture um, perfectly. You know, those issues doesn't doesn't work very well. Like, you know, we were not very happy with some of those recent issues that came out and it's like, oh, you know, they were trying to do this, but it didn't quite work, you know, that kind of thing. So... It's interesting that you say that though, Tyler, because as I was reading this issue, I kind of started becoming more forgiving of the Reign of X issues because I'm like, oh, they learned it from Daddy Claremont. Exactly. I'm like, oh, they learned it here. (laughs) They learned all the bad behavior here. The thing that he does sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. No, the thing that he does, which is interesting about this, because not every comic did this kind of thing at this time, is. Mm he kind of reminds you what changed in the last arc and if it was significant or not. Because, you know, authors throw out all sorts of developments and, and you sometimes don't know, especially in the Bronze Age, if they're supposed to be truly impactful or really something you noticed or if it was just some crazy thing that some character said or did in one issue. And so Claremont, like, really pulls out here that this the Phoenix thing is major. We knew that. But also he reminds us the thing about Scott and Corsair. He, he's giving us several different moments here to kind of just be like, hey, just so you're Remember, these characters are moving forward too. And then he tends to seed a couple things for the next arc to kind of plant a little something into your mind. I mean, here the thing we get is Wolverine, you know, agreeing to go to the picnic, which not really, because he wants to go hunt non-killing hunting, non-lethal hunting. Yes. But right. it's it's that Wolverine actually agrees to go somewhere with them is like Claremont kind of signaling like, hey, he's going to start caring about the rest of the team a little bit. And you're going to notice that in this next arc. And I absolutely th- think it's become p- common, not only in Reign of X, but just in comics in general, that, you know, authors take the moment to do this. But now, of course, because there's not as much internal monologue, as much thought bubbles, you don't get characters kind of laying it out explicitly the way that they're doing here. I mean, Gene explicitly 
between her and Scott's thought bubbles is like, well, I guess I'm coming out to my parents as Phoenix. Like what? We don't get to see the scene with her parents and the, but what is she saying to them? Like I, I died or I'm more powerful or I piloted a space shuttle. Like what exactly <laughs> is she telling them in this conversation? I can't but, quite get my head around it. But I love those three petals though, because you know, it's like Scott, like, you know, really like creeping on them. Like what is she saying? And then in the background, you see that she's like doing this. Then she turned into a Phoenix. Her parents are like, <laughs> and then she's like, ta-da. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, that, that was pretty neat. And I thought I was yeah. kind of keep on thinking about it. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't need, to, we already seen all that things that happened. So we'd, I didn't need another rehashing of that, right? So I thought it was very well done. And then, mm-hmm. you know, talking about using limited space to tell a lot of stories. And then we knew what she, what was being said. So mm-hmm. I thought that that, that three, uh, three panel was very perfectly done. It's and very clever. Co- it's yeah, funny. and you also com- compare and contrast between Jean coming out to her parents and Jean having to keep a secret about Scott's parents from him because of a mm-hmm. promise. Yeah. And right. Scott doesn't even know that in his brooding, right? He's only brooding no. over Jean. Little yeah. does he know he could be brooding more. And Storm, it is in this issue, right, that Storm gets in her little jab at Jean. Like, Sh- I-, I noticed something there too. Surely yes. you're not going to keep this a secret. Yeah. Yep. It was in here too. And then also like, you know, she went into um, like her plan, like her little me time that she goes on the top of the stairs with her plans and everything. I actually also showered and gotten all fresh while I was reading this issue. So it connected to me. I was (laughs) like, like, yes, And causing a flood in in your neighbors below you. Because yeah, that's, she, that's she lives in the attic and she has a storm and she basically just get naked and shower. And I was like, oh no, who lives below her? It's going to be all wet. Do you think that like, I, I've been thinking about this by the since the 90s and this is the first time I've ever gotten a chance to say it out loud. Do you think the whole floor of the attic is like the floor of a like a gym bathroom where there's just little drains everywhere and there's just drainage beneath the whole floor of the attic so that it's not just constantly creating like rot and mildew and the whole rest of the X-Mansion? Like what? <laughs> I, I honestly, I thought that, you know, she probably, I don't know why I thought that, that she has like mud on the floor. Like it's like kind of like a greenhouse kind of situation that she created in the attic. Because I'm like, why not? girlfriend gets a greenhouse that's kind of in more a better than what she's trying to do over here but hey it's okay like you know <laughs> but i mean my comic explanation would be like she has such a good minute control of a power is like she can shower and then whisks all the water away right, it all from just before yeah, yeah before every drop. it touches everything every drop the the attic remains intact and non waterlogged, uh, <laughs> whereas her plants get all the care that she wants to. And I think I can't remember. I mean, I think this is the only one and only time she talks to her plants. No, I she talk. I'm sure she talks really? to her plants after this. Okay. So- I also used to talk to my plant before I got my cat. Now I just speak to my cat. But before that, I had two plants and I would speak to them exactly the same way. It's like, oh, did you miss me? 
<laughs> I do that. Names? I have. <laughs> you yeah, do I that? Have, yeah. I have a plant that I had to leave behind in the States because you can't bring biological matter into New Zealand. Although, like, mm. I part of me still wishes I, like, tried to sneak a little cutting in, but that would have been illegal. And let's make clear yeah. to the Ministry of Primary Industries, I did not do that. Uh, <laughs> but I used to talk to it all the time. I had it for, like, 15 years, and I would always talk to it and leave it in the window. So now I've taught the kid that you have to talk to a plant just like a pet. And so yeah. she has a little houseplant that she just chats with every morning as she's waking up. Well, my cat murdered my plant because, you know, that was some... Yeah, she just threw that plant, uh, smacked that plant down. Babies killing babies. Yeah, it was was tough. It was tough. But, you know, as a a mother, I had to deal with this. But anyway, so the thing is like, yeah, I used to talk to plants. So it brought back some memories. I'm like, ah, yes, of course. Now, the other thing that happens before, you know, we get to the big fight here is we get this really great Nightcrawler-Scott scene. And Nightcrawler Mm. and Scott haven't really had a scene, a lot of scenes with each other to this point. And Nightcrawler has been just as angsty as the rest of them. Let's just, let's confess, this has been a pretty angsty group up until this point. Um, really? And, I didn't notice. And we, and I feel like this is kind of the beginning of like swashbuckler Nightcrawler a little bit where he's a little bit more happy-go-lucky, but he's also trying to like take confession from Scott. I, I don't know. What do you think about that Scott and Nightcrawler scene? It always sticks in my memory as one of the first big like interpersonal scenes from Claremont's run. It felt like he was, like, you know, starting a religion. Like, you know, this is the origin of his, like, <laughs> hey, man, confess to me. What's up? What's going on in your mind? I was like, oh, stop it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a little bit too aggressive about it. And then he was like, damn it, Cassidy. You, like, you know, I think, Sha- oh, who was it? Sean. Like, yeah, it, yeah, Sean. Yeah, Sean like, damn- their intimate moment. Yeah, like, damn it. You, like, you know, you ruined it. I'm like, what was going on? What was so so yeah it was it felt a little bit too intrusive given the fact that you know they don't don't necessarily have that relation like i would understand if he was doing it with uh peter like you know rasputin uh because they were already calling each other kind of like brother yeah Yeah. exactly like it just made sense but this one here it just felt like a little bit too pushy on his side so but it it also speaks to the fact that i think nightcrawler is embracing the family aspect of x-men now Oh. Right, they are, they are a family now. They, you know, Scott is not just a team leader and my teammate. You know, he's he's a family. So you know, I'm 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 going to reach out if I feel like he needs that kind of uh you know whether is it a firm push or 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 you know an intrusion. Um, yeah, I mean, he he's I think he's attempting to break down the wall that Scott has always built around him. You know, socially speaking. So, yeah. I also but, think yeah. it's it's a it's like Nightcrawler because he wears his mutation on the outside. It's the beginning of Claremont realizing that instead of being more guarded, he would be less guarded. Like he he's already kind of mm. further along in dealing with being a mutant and dealing with his feelings, even though Nightcrawler certainly has a lot of feelings repressed which get dealt with at various points. And that this is he he frequently is the one who's saying to someone else why are you so grouchy or why are you so upset or what can we do to cheer you up? Because he kind of just wears it on the outside just like he wears his mutantdom on the outside. And I just think this issue has has these moments of people clicking for Claremont in a lot of ways. And I always wonder, like, how much of that was Byrne? We know any Wolverine thing was Byrne because Byrne loved yeah, Wolverine. But I, I really think he brought a lot of those subtle changes to a lot of these characters because a lot of them are just better characters all mm. of a sudden starting in this issue. Yeah. I mean, and right now he's still the penciler. He's not. Uh, he's not he's credited not as a co-plotter. Yeah, it will change really soon. 
Well, and he's already done over 15 issues of Iron with, Fist with Claremont. He's doing yeah. Marvel team-up issues with Claremont. It's not like they just met. Like, they have a working yeah. relationship. So even if he's not credited as co-plotter, he knows how to influence Claremont at mm-hmm. this point. Yeah. And Nightcrawler also seemed like he was a little bit on the, um, you know, uh, skipping on his toe. Is that the word? Like, you know, it's because, like, he just got a date. So Such cheerful, like, yeah. yeah, very because cheerful. He's, like, very... He's, he's going on a date with Amanda Sefton, who's, yeah, who remembers like... who it is, but who later turns out to be. Uh, <gasps> no, don't tell me. Don't. No, don't I'm not. I'm, no, spoil. Uh, he's not there yet. Okay, yeah, but but yet. one one other thing I want to point out is the dirty look that Xavier give Moira and Sean when they kiss. Notice well, that. Isn't that like more towards Sean? Because he was like, she was talking and he's like, oh, come on, let's last thing, give me a kiss. <laughs> like, it was like, like, and knowing what we know about Moira, it was like very weird now because it's like, ew, gross. She's trying to save the mutants, cut it out. So, <laughs> so I was like, Egh. like, you know, and then also like, of all the people, seriously, Sean, girl, you can do better. Well, you know, they, they're going on a romantic picnic, which picks up a third, fourth, and fifth wheel. Fifth I know. As they're, I like... as they're on their way. <laughs> At first, I'm like, oh, they were just polite to, in, to invite Nightcrawler. But then Colossus is going, and then yeah. Storm is going, and then Wolverine is going. and <laughs> So they all go on this picnic, but Wolverine just wants to hunt non, non-lethally. Storm starts to be like, how dare you kill animals in nature? And he's like, I never said anything about killing, hun. And and so <laughs> off until the into the wilderness he goes... And Weapon Alpha James Hudson takes this moment to ambush Wolverine and, like, bring him back by force. But what James Hudson's position seems to be that Wolverine was only lent to Xavier in Giant yeah. Size X-Men. And now he's officially gone AWOL by never coming back. And so he's his, his body is the property of the Canadian government and it's time to come back home. Yeah. Why That's not ask politely? Like, right, like, why? why did he assume, and knowing everything you know about Wolverine, why would you assume that you're going to go and take him by force? That seems like a right. horrible plan. Like, why not just knock on the front door, be like, hey, you had this guy on loan, give him back. Or, like, you know, ask him politely, hey, come back. Because I feel like this just, like, such a weird thing. I was like, Because, like, Dr. Peter Kobo, you don't knock on X-Mansion's door. Right, you, you just climb over a wall. Yeah. <laughs> just ram through. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. But then also like the whole thing is like, oh, I'm not going to kill. I'm just going to touch, you know, be so quiet. I'm like, you know what? I should try that with my cat. Like how quietly I can go up to <laughs> I'm like, what is this even a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was like, okay, maybe it's like keeps him sharp. But um. I still well, didn't I mean, care for the fact that he kept on calling woman, broad, broad babe, like, ugh. Broad? Like, like, yeah, I'm like, ugh. Yeah, gross. that's something which I actually notice now when I'm rereading to um to do this recording. Like, I don't actually remember that he, he does that so often right? in the past right. when I read it. So, I don't know, maybe it's because of you, you know, because you influenced me to notice things like that. Mm. Mm. So that's a good thing. Yeah, it is. It is. No, you'll notice. You'll notice he constantly does that. He no, does he does. It, yeah, he no, does it too, I especially the women. It. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. So. I'm just saying that before that, because I read this run multiple times, right. and I don't remember him doing that so frequently, even in the beginning. So, yeah. 
But I, I do notice it now. So. I, and I also think that the way he does it transforms. I think Claremont writes him a lot more like lecherous and and uh, salty at the beginning yes. of the first 15 issues and mm-hmm. that's always a surprise to me when I reread them because I don't remember him like that because over time he turns him a little Change. bit more into like a doting uncle than a lecherous creepy uncle who like yeah. calls women broad but he's like you're you're strong broad you know <laughs> and I, I, I think that does start here and I, I think I, that's the Wolverine that I know like where it's yeah. like not as much of a punching down creepy lecherous thing as it was previously and this is this is really the handover between those two right here but and, as we'll oh go ahead Tyler no no I, I also imagine that this lake is the lake where a young Moira 5 told Xavier about what she learned in the previous four lives um, you know that that is the life where they where Moira went to find Xavier like way earlier and then they created the far away which got destroyed so and I remember the scene where I think they were sitting by by a lake, and that's I mean I just assumed that you know Xavier has not gone to college yet, and Moira just caught him here like by the lake, <laughs> this lake. Well, and the and lake, the lake through the history of X Men seems like it changes locations many times. Like sometimes the lake is within sight of the house, sometimes they go on a hike to the lake. It's yeah. just, I mean it's definitely a lake on the property, but they definitely yes. have some it definitely changes positions a few times. But yeah. she actually says it over here that um, there is like a lot of history with the lake and uh, Professor Xavier. So when I read that, I'm like, mm, someone was mm. really noticing this thing. Life five. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. And then Mora like, briefly tries to drown Banty in the lake, th- maybe thinking better of their relationship. She's like, oh, what if I just got rid of him now? Oh, that was more Irish than Scottish. But still, uh, I just love in the background of the pa- panel that they're like having a fight in the water. And, you know, there's Mora who's, you know, spoilers, has been an assassin and been through all of this stuff. And she's just holding his head under the surface of the water thinking, I could just do it. <laughs> And then she gets whacked out by James Hudson. James Hudson. So, yeah. and then I'm like, oh, that was the end. And then the Alpha Flight guy, he just just disappear, and that's the end. I'm like, just what like, is the rest of it? It just <laughs> poop and then disappear. Yeah, that's it. I'm it's like, just like the fight is just starting. Like Wolverine just gets kind of like drop kicked into the middle of them, just as Storm and Colossus are discussing the merits of nudism, and uh, and like Colossus stands up to him and Banshee screams at him. And he's like, "Wow, so much for that!" And he just like <laughs> he just he just disappears. I'm like. Uh, like yeah, there has been like so many X-Men issues recently we have read where it's like the story just goes nowhere and you're like, the, what the hell? Like where did it go? And I'm like, they all learned from here. <laughs> this is where it all began and it's just like a tradition that we're carrying on. But, yeah. Well, but like, you know, this, this is kind of a classic Claremont like hanging thread. Mm. Like this starts here, right? right? And then it doesn't get resolved. <laughs> for a while but I mean it does get resolved eventually but it does not for a while and and like this is the beginning of it and um, oh oh there's there's also um like uh, another Claremontism that comes up in this issue which is like them fighting words you'll see that like used over and over again ah okay well and 
This issue was reprinted in an issue of Classic X-Men. And in the Classic X-Men reprint, which is number 16, it actually adjusts a few of these things we were just talking about. It gives a lot more material for James mm -hmm. Hudson. It kind of gives him more reason to be there, which we were debating, like, why would you capture Wolverine alone? Yeah. And then it actually shows him after he pops out of existence at the end, which is kind of interesting because to free his point, it's kind of really sudden in the issue. And it has Claremont explaining it away, kind of looking at his passed off and being like, you goof, why did you just send an issue like that? <laughs> to better set up the few times that we're going to be seeing him and then more of Alpha Flight again. And the other thing in the classic X-Men issue is it has this kind of ridiculous sequence of Lalandra being a fish out of water. Xavier's like, I'll just leave you to have some time to yourself. And she's like, what are these pictures on the wall? And she's like tapping them like, why won't they change? Because she's used to holographic pictures. And then she gets in the shower and she's like, when you take a shower, what is this sluice of water? Why would you do that? It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like kind of dumb, but it does establish that she, I mean, she's an alien, you know, even though she yeah. was coming here to seek out Xavier as her star-crossed lover, uh, she she really has no concept of Earth. And and Claremont doesn't really take any time to develop her in the next couple of issues, so he took a moment here in Classic X-Men to And then there's that. also one point in that section, though, is like Xavier's like, oh, I was listening in, in your yeah. thought, and here I am. It's like... The hell? Like, he just 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 does that the whole time. He's just like, oh, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm just coming in. Like, what's up? What's happening? Like, you know, did you say that I'm your beloved? And I'm yeah. like, what are you thinking of me? He doesn't have hair to flick. <laughs> yeah, like, no, I does. know. It was like a mental flick, a mental yeah. hair flick. It's like, Ugh, but he also out. opened his mind to Lilandra. So does that mean you know he shared some information about Moira X with her? No, he didn't. He kept some. No, he's got that in a lockbox. <laughs> yeah, don't trust him. Well, anyway. we roll on from this issue to Uncanny X-Men 110, which turns out to be a really similar issue of the X-Men hanging out and getting attacked. And if yeah. you have the omnibus, which has the letters pages, they say, like, look, here's the thing. This is I find this really amusing. They had this issue 110 planned with this fill-in artist, um, Tony Zuniga, who was known at that time. And it was a planned fill-in. It wasn't like an emergency fill-in. And it was always going to be a fill-in. But then they had to do that prior fill-in in, what was it, 106? And so they didn't want readers to be like, oh, another random fill-in. So knowing that like Claremont and Byrne had some cachet from other titles, they ran the Byrne issue first, even though technically they were originally planning to run this one first, um, had there not been a fill-in in the middle of the end of the, Cla the um, Cockrum issues. So it's yeah. kind of like all shuffled up and now officially in continuity, this does come after 109, but it actually probably would have made more sense in the original, you know, if they had run this one first and then run 109, partially because this does feel like the same story over again. The only difference yeah. is the X-Men play baseball yeah. uh, rather than hang out in the mansion and go on a picnic. I'm so glad that you guys said that this is the same story because I was like, oh, please, because the fight scenes are exactly the same. <laughs> They're all talking the same thing. Their tactics haven't changed. And it was just the same thing again. Yeah. <laughs> again. No, it is. And it's like... Um... Is something which I think uh, you will not see again. I believe this is the only so-called standby, you know, a fill-in issue um, that they had to insert, um, you know, for, for, for whatever reason. For quite some and, time. Yeah, I mean, I think there was another one quite later on, which is kind of a recap issue, um, you know, but 
but in my memory, I think like Claremont has 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 so so much. The momentum has gained so much after you know certain after his run with Burn that he doesn't even have a need to do something like that. Now there are a few things worth mentioning in this issue, even if they're somewhat repetitive, and I think one of them is that he um. He actually has Gene and Logan connect with each other for a moment here. We all know I'm not a big Gene and Logan are meant for each other person, but I think prior to this point, Claremont hadn't even really thought through that they were going to be anything other than antagonists to each other on this team. And I feel like this is the first time of published at the time dialogue where Gene and Wolverine even really acknowledge each other other than a, a get the hell out of my way little man kind of situation. I don't know. Did that stick out to either of you? No, it definitely did. There's a, there's like, I mean, if we just ignore all the retcons and the, you know, classic uh, inserts and the stories, I believe this is the first place that she showed some, some kind of like uh, tenderness towards Logan. Yeah. And then the other thing in this issue that kind of um, gets stuck out to me is that Jean has that romantic obsession with her increased power, which is going to start to be a theme that gets hammered a lot. But it's like very textual here. It's not kind of like something that you have to assume. She just puts it right out there for us to understand. Yeah. And I think at the end, it also explains why Jean says she wants to join, rejoin the team. Because she wants to learn, like you know, to to control her powers, um, slightly better. That so that was news to me because I'm like, wasn't she already in the team? Like no. what? No, I mean, but she's been in the team since like one or five or something. I mean, she's she's just there, like you know. Well, she, she was used to be a- traveling with the team yeah. to space because she opened okay. up the portal. But like, was she on the team? She was oh. living in her Greenwich Village apartment, basically, yeah. just like with Misty. Yeah, with oh, Misty, yeah. just living the life. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so I didn't know that you have to officially announce that, hey, I'm part of the X-Men now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what I'm like, okay, yeah. fine. Like, I yeah. mean, another another thing about how this issue is kind of like pre-burn is, is like Wolverine is saying like, oh, I, I, he doesn't know what love is until he met Jean. And that kind of, that is kind of a weird place to, to put this given, you know, I mean, given given that we know a lot of things that happened before him and that he has a lot, <laughs> he has lived like many, 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 many lifetimes before. Right. So that dialogue comes off as really, really weird. Um, but, you know, at that point in time, Claremont still hasn't gotten a good handle of like, you know, how or, you know, what Wolverine is and that kind of thing. So, so and I'm glad that you brought that up because I actually kind of forgot that this was this issue. I, for some reason, I thought it was a later issue. I always have like this, like, oh, chalk, nail on the chalkboard moment whenever there's immortal men suddenly is like, oh yeah, this girl, I have never known love before until I met this girl. And the girl is not necessarily much going on for her. I mean, you know, I mean, it just, okay, just a girl. Like, you know, it's like, what? You never met anyone more interesting than this that's more on you son not like you know it's like <laughs> so it's always kind of like freaks me out a little bit and then i like we know that he's been around for what at that point 200 something years right so it's just like wolverine a yeah. hundred but nobody's decided that yet right yeah. like you know just it's, it's like kind of out 
<laughs> well, and you know, you can like fan wank that, that it's not, um, you know, he doesn't have all those memories. A lot of that's mm. pre-adamantium, but some of it's not uh, it's pre-adamantium. And so he should remember it. But this yeah. is, I mean, it's interesting that there's no classic reprint of this issue. No. They skip it. Even though, again, it was a planned fill-in. And Claremont does do some stuff that will get referenced later, like the X-Men playing baseball here. But he kind of, it's kind of just like in the greater scheme of things, you don't really need this issue. No. It's, you know, the way, as Tyler pointed out, the way they fight is this way that Claremont has been writing them a lot to this point, which they just individually throw themselves at somebody, which <laughs> at least when it happens again in a couple of issues, Cla- Cyclops comments in the story like yeah. this is dumb um yeah. you know but at this point it's and then also being trapped in the danger room again it's just it, yeah there's really not a whole lot to point out about this issue nope. but here's the thing that's interesting to point out the x-men are about to go into a series of really tightly coordinated adventures after this which basically just takes us with very few breaks right mm-hmm. up until their fight with proteus Um, in the 120s, which means there are very few places that you can put a gene with X-Men story in this period, pre-Dark Phoenix, um, that fit other than here. So the vast majority of kind of random Bronze Age X-Men memories, retcons, flashback series, they all fit either after 109 or after 110. And so if we really were to go through all of them, we could be here for quite some time. We're gonna go through just a couple of significant ones in the next episode. But um, one thing to remark upon is like Uncanny X-Men First Class, which is an all ages series that has the team all together. This is pretty much the only place it can fit because Lalandra is with the team and Jean is with the team. So you can you can kind of just assume, and that's why to me 110 is kind of important even though it's a fill-in issue because it establishes this X-Men at relaxation status quo into which you can just jam a whole lot of other stories and memories <laughs> and things if you want to create a retcon moment for the team. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else to say about 110? No. no. Okay, so look, um, we have classic X-Men 16. Actually, classic X-Men 13, which we've already covered, uh, fits in here. You will remember it as the Misty Knight Punches a Shark issue. Uh, we read it where it was because it was only slightly ahead of here, but it actually works just fine here as well. We mm-hmm. also have classic X-Men 16. That's the one that reprinted 109. And this is a story set long, long ago, prior to Banshee's debut in X-Men number 28. It's a young Banshee kind of motorbiking around the, the countryside of Ireland. What did we think about this issue? So, Freya? is this Siren's mom? Yes. Yes. Oh, so who is Siren's dad? Hmm. <laughs> like, is it Black Tom or is it Sean? She I mean, has some confusion about that uh, when we first meet her under Claremont's yeah. pen at about yeah. 35, 40 issues from now. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But I think it has since been established that Banshee is her dad. Yes. Definitively, she is definitely but Banshee's daughter. wasn't she raised by Black Tom, though? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, oh, yes. okay. Interesting. Definitely. But um no I mean I and, just and, and and you know and Black Tom's um what did what did Peter call 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 Juggernaut? Platonic life partner. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, you know, uh, platonic. I'm like, well, you know, at least he gets that. Um, I think, like, the issue, one thing that is just kind of always, like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to talk about all the tropes that bothers me. And this is, like, this is, like, the full of all those tropes. Uh, the one that is, like, oh, yeah, the one girl and two guys who are, like, you know, related to each other are fighting over that. Uh, Mario Puto, uh, who wrote uh, Godfather, he's famous for this. And, you know, this is, like, another one one of those i don't know what it is so it's like uh, and then it's like no go in my steed so because she can be happy i'm like ew what did, you, did someone ask her what she wants you know so i'm glad that finally black tom did and then you know he was and then she was like oh my god you cared about my feelings i'm like mm. Ugh. Well, and also, I, maybe this is just representative of my group of friends but i can only think of one time out of all of my close and intermediate friends in all of my life when I can think of somebody who was like seriously seeing two people at once and like couldn't decide. And it was a very specific sort of situation where like one of them was at kind of a distance and she knew that he was also seeing someone else. Is this is this a thing that people do? Am I just sheltered? Do people just like seriously date two people at the same time and fall in love with them both? I mean, I know of people who date multiple people at the same time, but they don't know each other. Like, this is, like, that's online They're not dating. living in the same castle, is what you're right. saying. Right, yes. And then the thing is, like, I'm like, it's kind of gross. And the thing is, like, Sean and Black Tom are distinctly two different people. So what is her confusion about it? But then I was like, ooh, I was, like, mostly in my gossipy uh, auntie mode. It's like, who is Saren's father? Clutch <laughs> Carl. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's what I was going why, why, why is why is your gossipy auntie mode in British? <laughs> Because that's what seems like British ladies do. They sip tea and then clutch their pearl and talk about gossip. But I was like, oh. But yeah, but I thought that it was very cool though because she was like super uh, competent and you know she kind of saved yeah. him. Um, and there, there was the, I read like too many stories about the fight between North and Northern Ireland and Ireland, Republic of Ireland and England and what does all mean. So it kind of like brought a lot of that. Um, into the story, so I thought that it was pretty neat. Yeah, I kind of really like that there are a lot of elements here that took it from kind of like a boring romance story to actually something sort of fascinating and interesting. Mm -hmm. And one of them is that element that there's these police that see Banshee um, motorbiking and they just profile him, you know? Mm -hmm. They just decide, you're probably a terrorist, and, and that's what you're doing. And, the, and that they want to try to get their revenge on him later. And it's what causes him to get rescued by this woman and everything. And I just, I think that that's a really interesting backdrop. And then to have the woman also have a lot of agency of her own and to be kind of a badass, it, it, which is very Claremont, of course, uh, which kind of just elevates this beyond a normal torn between two lovers showing two, you know, cousins before their enemies kind of story, which Claremont could have done. He just finds it a more interesting backdrop to set it against, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. And it also makes sense if you're writing a story set in Ireland at that time, you need to also address the unrest that was going on at that time. So, you know, it's kind of like from the history point of view, it's also very apt. Mm. And it also kind of interesting for me is like, you know, Black Tom is this suave, um, more gentlemanly, more um, uh, educated one, whereas like Sean is more of the you know not not even close to that. Yeah. So, 
so it was it's a little bit of a flip in terms of like you know that kind of um trope as well i think it did make me sad for him though because how for black tom Mm. like how he is now claremont makes a point of saying black tom and his oxford manners you know (laughs) like he's been to the big city he you know he knows how to talk to women which yeah. is, and now he knows how to talk to his plants, much like us. So uh, there are, as I said, there's a number of stories that fit in here, but there are two later classic X-Men stories mm-hmm. that fit in explicitly here. And so we're going to talk about them rather than saving them for when they come up as backups. And that's actually, they go in the opposite order than they were published. First is classic X-Men 28's story, which follows 109. And then there is classic X-Men's 27 story, which follows 110. So let's talk about classic X-Men 28. And it's backup story, which is so weird, so incredibly <laughs> strange, uh, which is by Anne Senti, not Claremont. Yeah. And it's about a, a Halloween party or a fancy dress party where all of the X-Men are, <laughs> they all went to somebody's house. Whose house is it? I didn't gather. So they no, could hide from no each idea. other in costume <laughs> and try to find each other out. It's really weird. It is. <laughs> it's. So not only it's super weird, but then I also realized that this is where Grant Morrison read this only one issue and he decided that he's going to make Cyclops cheat, how he's going to make Cyclops cheat on Jean again. Because you think this is his inspiration? This is absolutely his inspiration because this is the same nonsense Cyclops tells to Jean in New X-Men. Oh, it meant nothing. Like, it, oh no, I was like, it's the same exact line. Someone go back and check it. But I remember very vividly, he gives pretty much the same reasoning <laughs> that I wasn't myself. Oh and my this goodness. started here. It's like, really? You don't understand how, what Jean's kiss feels like? And you are supposed to be like really in love with her? Why no, are did, these two but, but together? He did, he did not kiss her. He, 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 he kissed the mask. She was wearing a mask underneath it. But still, there is a body... Like, you know, come on. Okay, guys. 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 Come on. Like, there's like a body... There's some dynamic. There's like I've a, never her... kissed a girl before, so... Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, I'll let you off the hook. But then it's like... You know, I mean, it's just like... A, you know, it's like a person thing. Like, you know, you would think... And then it's like... Uh, like, and then... Then she just takes him back. And I'm like... Ugh. Gene, I don't know, Gene, Gene, Gene. But then on like top that. of that, there, there's another plot happening too, yeah. which is that this abused woman is at the party hiding from her stalker ex, but also the X-Men is there to, are there to catch the ex and do this masquerade thing. It's just a lot. There's a lot it happening. It was it was a lot, and I actually checked because at first, I didn't notice at first that this was Anne Nocenti, so I was like. This cannot be Claremont. Like this, this is so. I mean, I'm read enough, but I just know about. It. I'm like, this is just so weird. And then, sure enough, it was written by someone else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, ugh. But then the only thing take away from me was like, this is this is. Grant Morrison read this one thing, and then he's like, I'm gonna write new X Men based on this. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he started. <laughs> you know, it was that was that was the only thing. Oh, sorry, I should say they he. They. they now go by they. So yeah, they. Um, my apologies. So, uh, but yeah. So I'm like. <laughs> for 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 me, it's more like, oh, am I supposed to take away like, oh, never judge a person by the costume they choose? 
<laughs> I have no idea what this story is about. Yeah, like, Maybe what is that? it trying to say? Yeah. I, it seems to be like a don't judge a book by its cover, sort of. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird it one. It doesn't quite land in no. that. If, I think it was just trying to do too to many do. different things. The Nightcrawler wandering around the party, trying to figure out whose teammates are, the, the Scott and Jean weirdness. And then the stalker thing. It was just too much for like a 12-page or however long it is story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we come to a story that I hate even more, which is the backup story in classic X-Men 27, which are I don't even know how to describe it. Scott and Jean and Logan are at a diner, but then there's aliens and an old factory. And Scott, Logan takes the opportunity to try to sleep with Gene while they're Ew. being attacked by aliens. How would you summarize this crazy story? It's like so, a major creep. So this is where Brian Michael Bendis took his inspiration for Ultimate Spider-Man, where Wolverine in Ultimate Spider-Man says the exact same thing to Peter Parker after he they Wolverine swapped tries to body. Sleep with Peter Parker. No, he tries to sleep with Mary Jane because oh, they swapped gross. bodies. No. They swapped bodies and he, like, you know, so it was actually not him, but it was Mary Jane who tells Peter, hey, let's never try to do that again or something along that Ooh. line, Ooh. which was, Ugh. and then, Ugh. and then even though there was a body, so it was disgusting, but I'm like, yeah, Brian Michael Bendis read this. What is, <laughs> He decided to write that. I mean, this was just like in everyone where everyone's getting their inspiration from. But this was so horrible. I really hope this no, is. Is yeah. this considered to be in continuity? I really hope. Unfortunately, I mean, because, it is. Yes, because yeah, it it's is. a classic well, story. Because yeah. then it's like a twofold. It's like the fold that you know that in the ultimately now how the status quo is. He got the girl after being this creeper. After being this this awful person. After like you know Gene constantly telling him no. He got the girl. Like it's just, it's just horrible. It's it's disgusting. I well, found it's also this like whole the unfortunate, to be so bad. It's the unfortunate legacy of a lot of Silver Age comics <laughs> and Marvel deciding that they're going to kind of maintain their continuity for all time. Is that a lot of the men who are the romantic leads of Marvel today treated women horribly and got women to love them that they abused. And Marvel, because they leave everything in continuity, has to explain it, right? And you get somebody like Hank Pym, who slapped Janet, who that becomes his primary defining character trait. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, Peter Parker has done some very similar things to that. It just never has fully defined him. We have Wolverine here, who's kind of just like a like a creepy rape monster at many points yeah. in early Claremont. And we're supposed to think of him romantically with Gene, but even Cyclops treats Gene horribly many times. But because Marvel has this constant continuity, it's like, well, sometimes, as Priya points out, the guy gets the girl and we're supposed to root them on. But those of us who've read these classic stories are like, wait a second. And it's hard yeah, to reconcile. Yeah. I mean, it is it one is. of the challenges of this kind of constant soap opera continuity. It's like a soap opera where you have characters who are villains, who are horrible, who assaulted people, and then they make them into a romantic character five years later because they were popular with the audience. You know, DC doesn't have to really deal with that because they have hyper time and they can be like, what? No, that issue never happened. We're not acknowledging that. <laughs> and and it's, just, it's like really like one of the like you know bad aspect of it because, this, because of these interaction, I always have 
hard time finding Jean to be a very like interesting character or like you know something other than just a foil for Cyclops and Wolverine to go like you know have like a quabble like it just it's it's gross it's disgusting and I'm just like yeah. this this was like one where I was like ugh stop it cut it I, out and it's written by Claremont as well no I know I mean typically That's... I give I give Claremont a bit of a benefit of the doubt but this one is written into what 1986. So it's Even technically later, yeah. he he's 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 really way better as a writer at this point. Wolverine is pretty much um, a, a a much more well defined character at that point in time, and for him to come back and write this story and cast Wolverine as a really creepy sort of way, and it is Anne Nascenti. Yeah. It is not Claremont. Oh, is Anne Nascenti? Yeah. Oh, even oh. worse then. Even worse then. Girlfriend, what are you doing? Like, you know, yes. you were like the, you were like the okay. only only woman, uh, like, you know, active, like one of the very few women active at that time. Girlfriend, what are you doing? Oh, what yeah. Is it is Anne Nascenti. It is Anne Nascenti oh. in 1988. So, so yeah. clearly not a favorite of ours, but this is where no. it fits. So other things that you could be reading here, and perhaps we'll come back and do it. As I mentioned, Uncanny X-Men First Class 1 to 8 is something that you could read here. Also, Captain Britain. There's a lot of Captain Britain, early Captain Britain in Marvel UK that we know happens after Uncanny X-Men 101 due to a Captain American appearance. And... Uh, pretty much right after this, Captain Britain is introduced to U.S. audiences in Marvel Team-Up 65 and 66. And we know that because Marvel Team-Up 69 is one of the next stories that is after this. And Spider-Man is in almost every issue of Marvel Team-Up. So we know that Cl that um, Captain Britain probably makes his debut around this frame. We might come back and do some epic rereading of Captain Britain at some future point. But now having told you all the things we're not going to read right now, let's talk about what we're going to read for the next episode so you can get ready because it's not what you might think. There's actually a bit of a break before the beginning of 111 because Claremont starts issue 111 with sort of a surprising status quo. So if you want to get ready to read with us next time, what you're going to want to read is not only Uncanny X-Men 111, but also uh, Captain America Annual Number 4 and Marvel Team-Up Number 69, as well as the classic X-Men backup story from classic X-Men 17, which fits before Uncanny X-Men 111. So I know normally we do the Uncanny X-Men for issue first and then the other issues, but the order you're going to want to read in is classic X-Men uh, backup story and then the Captain America annual and then the Marvel team up and then Uncanny X-Men 111. So that is where we will pick up next time. Also, if you happen to ever uh, be subject to the anti-smoking issue, Spider-Man, Storm, and Power Man from 1982, you could read that as well, though we will not be explicitly covering that other than saying, don't smoke, kids. So... Uh, thank you so much for listening and watching another episode of our epic X-Men reread on the behalf of Freya Tyler and myself. We're so happy that you could be a part of this and we look forward to seeing you again in the next episode. Be well. Bye. Bye.